Pastor Ed Taylor says we have a good shepherd that we can fully trust. Of all the relationships that he could have chosen that have been reserved by the Holy Spirit for us today, what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd, and what? I shall not want. He's my shepherd, my protector. He's in total control of my life. I can trust him. I can live a life of contentment and peace because I know that God takes care of all of my needs, that the Lord is the source of my provision, and he takes care of me. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Welcome to another Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Today we pay a visit to John chapter 10 and learn that we have a good shepherd that protects us, provides us peace, and so much more. So if you could use a little encouragement, well, you've come to the right place. Here's Ed. Take your Bibles, open them to two places, would you? John's Gospel, chapter 10, and Psalm 23. John's Gospel, chapter 10, and also Psalm 23. In our regular study through the Gospel of John, we came to these words. Pick up with me in verse 10 of John, chapter 10, as Jesus is teaching, and he says some of the most sobering words and some of the sweetest words that are available in the Scriptures. In John 10.10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I, verse 11, am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Those are such comforting words, encouraging. To know our God, our Savior, in such a personal way, as the protector and the guard of our lives, as the one that helps. It's an amazing picture. Not distant, not removed, not uninterested, but rather God, our shepherd, the good shepherd. And as we studied last time, not like the hireling, not like the person that's just in it for themselves, not like the person that when trouble comes, they take off and don't want anything to do with the sheep, but they're only in it for themselves. No, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. And long before the incarnation of Jesus, long before Jesus comes on the scene in the form of a human being, David, in Psalm 23, knew God as shepherd. As a young shepherd boy, propelled into the throne of Israel by God himself, he sat down one day to pen a powerful psalm. You know, in the New King James Version, it's only six verses in the English translation, about 117 words, and yet full of timeless truths. Psalm 23 is so simple that a child can not only memorize it, but even grasp its basic meaning. And yet at the same time, Psalm 23 can be so deep and profound that we can study it until we find and see Jesus face to face and still not plumb the depths 
of the complexity of knowing God as our personal shepherd and guide and care for our lives. I mean, Psalm 23 is pretty popular. I dare say that most of you have memorized Psalm 23, that as we read it in a moment, you're going to read it from memory because someone along the way had you memorize it. I mean, even if you grew up in, an, in a home that was maybe a little bit religious or not religious at all, I'm sure many of you had Psalm 23 in some kind of plaque up next to the door. You know, on one side of the door, you had Psalm 23, and on the other side, you had that footstep footprint thing, that poem up there with the footprints in the sand. I mean, that's just, it's just such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful reminder of the faithfulness of God. And you know, it's not unlike the scriptures to describe God as a shepherd. In, in Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 11, it speaks of God feeding his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Psalm 23 now, before we jump in, a couple things to consider. First of all, I'm going to give you a little quiz. Psalm 23. What comes before Psalm 23? Psalm 22. Very good. Very good. Psalm 22. And what comes after Psalm 23? Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you take those three psalms together, God puts Psalm 23 in just the right place. Because in Psalm 22, we have one of the most graphic, sobering descriptions of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, we see Jesus as the suffering Savior. When you skip over Psalm 23 to Psalm 24, we don't see Jesus as a suffering Savior any longer. Instead, we read of his return as conquering king. He will no longer wear a crown of thorns, but a crown of glory. So if you put the three together, and maybe this week that's just something to meditate on. When you put the three together, you have the suffering Savior, the good shepherd, and then the returning king all together. It's so cool. I, I would encourage you to look at them this week. But for now, let's read together Psalm 23. And let's read it out loud. Remember, um, at this service, we have people tuned in from all over the place, and, and we have microphones set up so we could pick up the ambient sound. So when you read, just understand you're reading to far more than just what's in the room. But let's read with a heartiness in Psalm 23, and I'll pick up and start in verse 1. The Lord is my... He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So encouraging. So wonderful. Now, when did David write this psalm? We're blessed in many of the psalms to know exactly when David wrote them because it says right in the introduction where he wrote it. Now, if you're with us on Wednesdays, you know that we've been following the life of David in our verse-by-verse -verse study in 1 Samuel. And there'll be times when we're in a an, specific instance in his life, and we'll pause there and say, you know, I wonder what David's feeling like right now. I wonder what's going through his mind. And we'll flip over to the psalms, and we'll find right in the beginning, this is what David's thinking because this is where he wrote this psalm. Unfortunately, Psalm 23 doesn't have for us the timing 
of when he wrote it, but many people have speculated on different times. For example, some believe that David wrote this psalm while he was on the run, maybe in a rock refuge, just sitting there meditating on the safety that the shepherd provides for him. And that would be a beautiful time. If you look at David, you know, now if you're with us on Wednesdays, we've been in First Samuel, I don't know, a few, maybe six, seven, eight months. And you come back, you go, wow, how long is David on the run? Eight months? Actually, David, in the entirety of his exile, will be on the run for about 10 years. The time that we've been in First Samuel, we've only covered about seven years of his time on the run. And so it could be any time between, I mean, imagine, imagine being chased by a madman of King Saul. Imagine going through a trial in your life for 10 years. I mean, some of you, you can relate to that. That somewhere in those 10 years, you just need to stop and meditate on the goodness of God. I get it. I can see that being a possibility, 10 years. Secondly, some say that it was written at a much later time in his life, after another time of exile, when he was graphically betrayed by his own son and those closest to him, Absalom. And he was on the run for the sake of the safety of the kingdom of God. And, his, and, and he was wandering through the dusty desert place another time in his life. Others suggest, and if you were to go with us to Israel, we'll take you to this area of the Elah Valley, or there's a little rock riverbed there that's dry and the hills are high. And some people believe that he wrote it while he was walking through the Eli Valley, thinking about when he conquered Goliath and remembering the faithfulness of God. We don't know, for exa- we don't know exactly when he wrote it, but I can say this. On a personal level, I think it's one of the first two. I think that David, he wrote this in a moment of difficulty, in a moment of trial. Personally, because I've seen that God has meant so much to me in my moment of need. I've been a Bible student for many, many years, 20 plus years, 24 years now, and, and I've read through the Psalms in my daily devos, just like you do. I've gone through them, and I've read through Psalm 23 and 22 and 24, and I've gone through, but I can say in the last couple years, Psalm 23 and the Psalms in general have come alive in my life with great meaning and depth more than any other time before. The times with my father are so powerful and so precious, and those times where I recognize I need him the most. And perhaps David wrote this psalm in a time of great need, in a time of great difficulty. Notice with me now in verse 1 of Psalm 23 where we learn that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So beautiful. I mean, just every line speaks volumes into our lives of God our shepherd. I want you to notice that the word Lord there in your Bible, if you want to see it, or on your phone, your iPad there, the word Lord is in all capital letters. There's a large capital L, and then the O, the R, the D are all in capital letters. And the translators are doing that for a reason. They're wanting to show us in the Hebrew that the word that they're conveying there is a word without vowels. Uh, We've come to know it as Yahweh or Jehovah, but in the Hebrew, there's no vowels. And from a Hebrew perspective, they even come to this and say it's the unpronounceable name of God. They, they will just use it and say it's the name. But here we learn that it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah God that is our shepherd. And let me tell you, friend, you want God to be your shepherd because there are a lot of alternatives there. You know, if God is your shepherd, then the rest of the psalm is yours. If God is your shepherd by faith in Jesus Christ, then all of the promises of Psalm 23 are not, a nice, not just a nice plaque on the wall or a keychain or a t-shirt. This is the real life experience of those that know that God is their shepherd. Now, this is his name, the very essence of who God is. 
I mean, think about a name. You all have a name. I have a name. My name is Ed. On my birth certificate, it's Edward. And for a season of life, I was known as Eddie, my name. And I look at my life and I say, well, I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. Uh, and, And I could say a lot of things that I am because those are things that I do. Those are things that I do. If I would say, Ed is a pastor, that's my name. And then we often define ourselves by what we do. But when you come to the name, understand that it represents the totality of who you are, not what you do. When I call you by your name, I am reflecting that who you are in distinction to everyone else on the planet Earth. It's your name. For the Hebrew mindset, the name is very important. And throughout scriptures, God reveals himself by his name, compassionate, loving, gentle, over and over again. There are many names that describe who God is and what God is throughout the Bible. You know, in Hebrew culture, there would be times, well, there's two types of times when they would name kids. Sometimes God would give the name ahead of time because God in his foreknowledge already knew the personality of the child. You know, I think of Jacob. He was named Jacob, which means heel catcher, and he was a heel catcher the rest of his life, always battling between the flesh and the spirit. And he was a heel catcher because that's what he was doing in the womb with his brother. Now, on other times, there would be times of waiting where the Hebrew family would actually wait to see the characteristics of their kids before they hand them a name. You know, I've seen that happen in our own church. You know, we're so privileged to have many young families, and and I see so many pregnancies, and when I get to talk to them and pray with them and laugh with them, I go, okay, what's the name? What's the name? And they go, you know, we're not sure yet, and we got a couple options. What are the options? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, okay, you don't need to tell me. And What's going on? And they would say, well, you know what? We're just going to wait. We're just going to wait. And they wait till they hold the baby. They wait till they see the baby's eyes. And then it just clicks for them. This is the name. It's so cool. I think it's awesome. I think it's a great. It seems to be coming back now. Your name is very significant. It's what makes you you and distinct from every. Even if someone else shares your name, your name is still your name and reflects you. When it came down to it, when David sits there to reflect on who leads him in life, who guides him in life, who protects him in life, who takes care of him, who provides for him, he says, you know what? It's Yahweh. Jehovah God is my shepherd. That's his heart. When I think of God, I think of God as my shepherd. So if God is our shepherd, you know what that makes you and me, right? Sheep. Bah. Just sheep. Now, we kind of laugh at that because I I wanted you to laugh because it's not so funny to be called a sheep, you know. Sheep are not the smartest animals on the farm. That's a nice way of saying sheep are... Now, I'm not saying it. You said it. You said it. That's us, sheep. They're not the smartest animals. They, they have a tendency to wander around aimlessly and follow each other without any thought to any danger or difficulty. I've read true accounts of sheep walking off a cliff one after another, just one after another. They get up and, where's my friend? You know, and they just stack up. They stack up so much that the next one falling off just walks on the one that's stacked up. They will walk off a cliff to their own demise because of their tendency to just follow blindly. I think in my own life, I wonder if you can as well, of all the dumb decisions I've made over the years because I'm just following the crowd, not hearing from the Lord, not following him. 
I'm sure when you young people, and maybe you guys go back to your days of college, when you were looking at what to do and what to major, that you didn't sign up for any sheep training course. There's no major in sheep training. You can train horses and you can train dogs. You can't train cats. You can't do anything with cats. I don't, I don't know what, why cats even exist. <laughs> That's another Bible study altogether. Uh, and don't stone me, cat lovers. You can train dogs and you can train horses, but you can't train sheep. They're basically untrainable, limited in their abilities. Sheep are defenseless. They have no claws, no fangs. They cannot nibble their enemies to death. It's not possible. Sheep do bite but they're not able to take down the largest or smallest of animals. You know, sheep are easily spooked by the smallest of things. Even as small as a squirrel can send a sheep running in terror. You know, sheep get dirty, and they stay that way, and they don't care. So much so, they can get so dirty and carry so much baggage in their wool that they can get so heavy that they'll fall over and they can't get up on their own. And they'll die that way because they don't take care of themselves. And they don't care. It's really not a great compliment, friends, to be called a sheep. <laughs> but you know, in our lives, we can see that the point that God's making when he compares us to sheep is that we are strong, and we are smart, and we are safe, and we are secure when we let God be our shepherd. That's when we're smartest. That's when we're strongest. Because you know, a lot of people choose other things to be their shepherd. Some people, some of you listening today, you, you've chosen money. If you were to say that you open up this psalm, you know, money is my shepherd, Pastor. You know, I've worked really hard for money, and I can get a lot of things. I could pretty much do whatever I want. That's the kind of money I have. I can buy my way into this, and if I need to be happy, I can buy something that will make me happy. And yet what you have found, and if you haven't, you will soon enough, is that money makes a horrible shepherd. Because money can buy you happiness, but it can't buy you joy. It can buy you the opportunity to be around a lot of people, but it can't buy you true friends. And I'll tell you what, money can't buy you salvation, the forgiveness of your sins. It may not be money for you. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe today you go, wait a minute, Ed, I've studied, I've studied a long time in life, and so the shepherd of my life is knowledge. I, I like to learn, and if I don't know something, then I'll study it, and I'll learn it, and I'll get through it. But let me tell you something, friend. You'll never be smart enough to have your knowledge be your shepherd. You need a God that is of infinite wisdom, the creator of the universe. Knowledge will cause you to fall short in so many different ways. And I can think of the many different things that have substituted God. I, I believe in science. That's my shepherd, science, and the advancement of scientific information. Listen, listen, as good as science is, God created science. He is the author and finisher of life. And without a relationship with God in an intimate way, science won't save you, money won't save you, knowledge won't save you, and any other thing that you have replaced God with. You see, David could have picked all sorts of acceptable lines. He could have all sorts of different analogies. He could have said, and rightly so, the Lord is my commander-in-chief and I'm his warrior. Okay? He could have said, the Lord is my king and I am his ambassador or his subject. He could have said, the, the Lord is my attorney and I his client. Of all the relationships that he could have chosen that have been reserved by the Holy Spirit for us today, what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd and what? I shall not want. He's my shepherd, my protector. He's in total control of my life. I can trust him. 
I can live a life of contentment and peace because I know that God takes care of all of my needs, that the Lord is the source of my provision, and he takes care of me. I will not want. It's a very frustrating thing when you and I confuse our wants with our needs. This, is, this, is, this happens to us all the time. It's a very discouraging thing for me when I begin to see my wants and, and call them needs, and then when God doesn't provide for them, I get discouraged. No, God has promised to provide. We, we will not, see, the word want can also be described here in the Hebrew as I will not lack. It's not an open, hey, whatever you want, the shepherd will take care of you. No, no, no. I will lack nothing because God will supply everything according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. So, so how does God make me lie down? I started thinking of a few ways that he does that. You know, first of all, he will make us lie down from time to time with sickness and illness. You ever get one of those? Well, you're just out, and that's it. You're just down for the count to rest it out. I mean, you'll get so sick that, that your spouse or your friend will go, you need to go to the doctor. So you make, your, you make your appointment, you get it all ready, they take you down to the doctor, you wait in the waiting room, you finally visit, they do their assessment, and here's what they say. You need to go home and rest. Lots of fluid and rest. And you're like, what? I mean, it's good that it wasn't something worse, but I did not need to come to the doctor to be liquids and rest. I already know that. And yet, it was just a repetition for God saying he's making you to lie down and rest. Our life can be so filled and so busy and so much. And sometimes it's by sickness and illness. Other times it's by command. God just simply says, it's time to rest. He speaks to your heart. He reveals a scripture to you. You go, you know what? You need to back off and rest. You need to take some time away. Remember with Israel, he told them, work six days, but on the seventh day, rest. For the believer, he says, keep in mind that Jesus Christ now is your Sabbath rest and live a life that rests in him. You know, for a sheep to rest... You know, there's a great book, by the way, on this topic. I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. It's a classic, but it's such a beautiful, wonderful look of a man and a pastor who spent time as a shepherd and then wove Psalm 23 into the narrative of the reality of a shepherd. And he teaches us that for a sheep to rest, everything has to be just right. A sheep has to have confidence and courage that comes from his shepherd. There needs to be in a sheep's mind a peace from predators, because they're well aware of predators. Even in our own lives, you know how there are those that would like to, to pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y, upon your faith and upon your life and take advantage of you and me in some way. Maybe there are some enemies coming after you with accusations or lies, and you just want to rest by knowing there's a peace that God will take care of you with the predators. Secondly, a sheep needed to be at peace from pests, pests. You know, the flies and the bugs and just the everyday craziness, you know, and just in our lives. We need to have that peace of knowing, hey, all these little things, all these annoyances, all these difficulties, Lord, I trust you in my life. With the big things, God, I trust you in my life. With the little things, there also needed to be a peace in the sheep from tension from other sheep. Remember, we learned 
that sheep, they like to butt heads. We're going to learn in our next time together that God would anoint our heads with oil so that when we do butt heads, we just slide right off, and it releases the pain of the kind of tension that comes when from time to time, as human beings, we butt heads. There needs to be a peace from that type of tension. There also needs to be a peace from hunger. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? That those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will what? Be filled. And see, the shepherd provides peace from all of these things and more. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going through the Gospel of John right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com and have a podcast, too. We all have stubborn habits in our lives. Maybe it's a tendency to worry, drink alcohol, lust, or curse. And perhaps you're finding it very difficult to break. Well, we've got a helpful book to share with you from Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. As the name of the title would suggest, this book will help you shake that nasty habit. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Well, next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of John. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.